When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Late night Midnight on the interstate I didn't feel so great Until I saw the city Welcome back to Straight from the Source of Michael Rousseau. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. If you're not an Athletic subscriber, well, what are you waiting for? Now is the time. Theathletic.com slash Straight from the Source will get you in for $3.99 per month. I've paid more for a nitro cold brew this morning. A lot more, by the way. Um, really hope that you uh, join up, especially with the Wild playing so well. Eight and three, seven one-goal wins. In fact, I'm so used to one-goal wins. They won 5-2 the other night, and I tweeted they had another one-goal win. Uh, seven come-from-behind victories, and not just come-from-behind victories. We're talking like buzzer beaters, uh, just dramatic overtime wins. It's been a fun start to the season. I'm sure Dean Evison would like a, a nice little 4 nothing, 5 nothing, easy-peasy type of win. Uh, but, man, the Wild are making it fun, and they're getting depth scoring up and down their lineup and Kaprizov and Fiala still haven't uh, taken off yet, but Ryan Hartman's got six goals, getting go-ahead goals, buzzer beaters, tying goals, everything uh, lately. Uh, Marcus Foligno, to me, has been just absolutely superb. Four goals. Erickson Eck, four goals. Uh, Bukestead, Sturm, Duhame, all scoring goals. They got 32 points from their defensemen. doesn't matter what cast of characters the Wild have on their back end. They always seem to get points, um, and they're right near the top of the league. So it's been a fun start to the Wild season. Riding a three-game winning streak into tonight's 8 p.m. game here in the desert. Capo Kakinen will get his second consecutive start. He won the game the other night against the New York Islanders. And with the Wild playing on the second of a back-to-back tomorrow night in Vegas, uh, they are going to give Kakinen, uh, who played well the other night, a chance to go up against the one-win Coyotes uh, tonight. Hopefully, everybody reads my Jacob Chikrin, um, Brandon Duhem piece uh, that I wrote in today. Just a really cool story. We, we hear all the time about, you know, kids in the NHL that played together in youth, but it doesn't happen a lot in South Florida. And these kids, uh, Duhame and Chikram, started playing together when uh, Chikram was four and Duhame was five, ended when Duhame was th- was 14 and Chikram was 13, played together throughout those years. Even Andrew Peak, the defenseman for the Columbus Blue Jackets, was on that team. In fact, a picture we didn't use, there were five kids in the picture and three are in the NHL, and these guys grew up in South Florida. Um, but Chikram, who's a star in this league, um, just really, uh, man, if he was in any other market, he'd be a David back it's like go-to quote. He's that, that good. Um, so hopefully everybody reads that piece because it's just so many cool anecdotes, so many great 
um, quotes, and I think it'll be really neat for those two to go together against on national TV tonight on TNT. Um, my guest today on the podcast, Tom Reed, the longtime color analyst of the Minnesota Wild, the proprietor of uh, Tom Reed's Hockey City Pub, one of the greatest, uh, I think it's the greatest hockey bar that I've ever been to in North America, and um, just it's a museum of memorabilia. But it's story time with Tom. I mean, it's just a laugh out loud, funny podcast. That guy has story after story, even when we stopped recording he started telling me this just hilarious story about him being in the hospital high sticked in the eye um and uh he gets a call from ren blair's secretary and saying hey um you didn't make this last road trip um you owe we prepaid you 12 dollars per diem you owe us that back and by the way how's your eye <laughs> and i'm like that would have been perfect for the the podcast but there's just so many hilarious stories pranks guys that he played against it's just i mean he's you know lifetime in hockey it's just it's it's amazing and um you know and he doesn't doesn't take any of it for granted that he's got to be in this incredible game for so long so many bob kurtz stories so many lunani stories so many jp parisi stories he talks about playing against guys like john beliveau and playing with guys like stan makita um and of course we get to the uh wilds exciting start to the season so really hope everybody enjoys this podcast before we get to our podcast here is a word from some of our sponsors looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, as mentioned, the proprietor of the greatest hockey sports bar in the uh, world. I was I was going to say North America, but why? Oh, well, uh, well, yeah, it was good. We were yeah. going to the top three in the world. So exactly. We'll, we'll take that. Um, Tom Reed, uh, thanks for joining us uh, straight from the source. We're sitting on this incredible courtyard here in uh, Glendale, Arizona. You got the waterfall in the background. It's pristine. It's peaceful. It feels like we're on vacation from Kevin Faulness. You know, it's interesting too, Mike. I remember you missed the joke. I didn't even hear what you said. I said uh, that we're on vacation with Kevin Faulness. Oh, oh, yeah, from okay, Kevin yeah, Faulness. From Kevin Faulness. No, you're right. Well, that was a joke. Yeah. Peaceful. Uh, yeah, it is peaceful. You know, it's interesting because I was talking to some of the guys last night, and I remember breaking in with Chicago in 1967, all right, with the Blackhawks. And, of course, that was the first year of expansion from six to 12 teams. And uh, we're out in California, and I'm in the car with Sam Makita and Bobby Hall, and we're going to the practice rink, and I'm and we're all saying, boy, how could anybody ever play hockey in this type of weather? <laughs> you know, I know it's not cold weather we're used to. And 
you know what? I think I could do it. Yeah. I think I could do it now. When you watch these players come in the rinks and when you get to Florida and when you get out here and they're in, you know, flip-flops and shorts and everything else coming in and we're, we got the winter boots on, the winter coats and the hats and everything else. So it's it's different, but it's pretty nice. This is a great place to be. Yeah. Maybe that's why Arizona has become the landing spot for like retired players and dead cat money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, yeah, right. you know, yeah, I'll just go make my millions there and not even ever have to play. Um, it's just, uh, it's pretty, but it is pretty awesome i mean the one thing also um if wild fans and a lot of wild fans make this jaunt um what's so cool about this hotel that the wild stay at is it's it's 100 yards from the entrance of the arena and that's my biggest concern about when the when this where's the arizona coyotes going we're gonna lose that great convenience of being in this hotel yeah and, and you're right uh, where they're gonna go i have no idea yeah. but it's still still arizona so yeah. we should have good weather wherever we go in this area but uh it's a shame because you know, it's a it's a nice arena, just mm-hmm. in the wrong location. Yeah, yeah, and they're thinking of uh, they, you know. Actually, I drove in an Uber down to Scottsdale the other day, and I saw the spot that they're thinking of putting the new arena. The question is, where do they go? Because they are apparently being kicked out of here uh, right off the hop after this year. So, where do they go for those couple of years while they build the arena? Uh, that's going to be the biggest question. Because I used to cover games at the old America West Arena, that's the Suns Arena, and I don't even think they have an ice plant any there there anymore. So, I don't think you could. And remember, I don't know if you remember the end zones there. Could, you couldn't see. Couldn't see the goal yeah. line. So like, goal I, I don't line, yeah. think you could put a team back there. So yeah, I, I don't know what they're going to do. You know, I was doing television at the time. And so we had a few games we didn't do mm-hmm. on air. And so I sat up. I went and sat down to watch the uh, warm-up. As I sat down, I said, where's the goaltender? Couldn't see the goalie. Couldn't see the goal line. Nothing. Yeah. And that was, I mean, it was built for basketball, obviously. Yeah, no doubt about it. Let's see. Where do we, where do we start? I mean, like, let's go back. I mean, you've been, you've been the wild play-by-play guy now for, or color analyst now for 21 years. Um, before that, worked with, with Curtsy doing North Star games. Before that, played for the North Stars. Um, first of all, I, I mean, how tough was it to end the playing career and then step right into the booth? It was, it was a little difficult. You know, I didn't expect to, to have to end my career, and I quit because I became allergic to my, became allergic to my hockey equipment. Yeah, and that's the only, and we could never figure out what was what the problem was because we tried everything. But uh, in 1978, I mean, I was I spent a lot of time in the hospital in that 77 78 uh, year uh, trying to correct it, trying to get it taken care of, and it would be fine. I'd come out in two weeks later and back in again. So mm-hmm. finally, the doctors, uh, the doctors in Marshall, Wisconsin. We can't give you any more steroids or cortisone shots or things like that because you'll be dead by the time you're 40. Well, that that pretty well sealed it for me at that point. But mm. I remember Walter Bush calling me and he said, would you be interested in doing the radio with Al Shaver? And, you know, I talk to Al every few weeks. I give him a call. He's still in, on uh, Vancouver Island, lives in Qualicum Beach, and I think he's 94 years old now. A great guy. And he still follows the game. He sounds good. He knows that the team he talks about. Caprice uh, off. He talks about the different <laughs> players, and so he's really uh, in touch with. It. But Al's been, you know, he retired when he was sixty-five years old. Yeah, and now here he is ninety-four. But he's had had a great life. So, and Bob Kurtz and I had a couple of times have taken the ferry across the water and rented a car, and you know, and gone to, to visit with him up there. So it was it was kind of fun. But yeah, I love it, listening to his his. I love listening to Wally and. And it isn't Wally's son does the uh, does the Chicago Wolves. Yeah, I met yeah. him in uh, Iowa a couple years yeah. ago. Um, but I, I love listening to Wally and just uh, and all those Gopher <laughs> games and just his voice and everything. It kind of brings me to like what it must have been like to listen to Al Shaver and to be and the great. pride of being in the Al Shaver press box is pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah, Al, Al was absolutely. 
a, a gem to work with too. Um, what was it like working with Curtsy? Because uh, you guys were attached to the hip. You're still attached to the hip. He's doing twenty something games, but he is a he's a cartoon character. There's no doubt about uh, it. I mean, yeah, uh, it, it's interesting because when I was doing the radio with Al a couple of years, and then now Walter Bush called me again and said, "Would you ever consider doing TV?" And I, and I, you know, as a kid growing up, I couldn't talk in front of people. Mm-hmm. I couldn't talk in front of my classmates. When I had to do book reports and so on, it was it was really difficult. And I thought, if I don't at least give an, an attempt at it, I'll never know. And the same thing with playing the NHL. When I got an invite to Chicago, I wanted to be a recreation director. That's what I wanted to do. Wow. <clears throat> and so I thought, if I don't at least attempt it, will I regret it someday not doing it? So I, I went and Bob was, uh, we just talked back and forth on air, uh, kind of a, a, a audition tape. And they brought me in. And it was tough. And the first game I ever did was in... Uh, was in Denver. McNichols. At McNichols Arena. Yeah. And it was Kerry Frazier's first game also as, yeah. a, as a referee. And nobody told, nobody trained me. Nobody told me what an IFB was. <laughs> All of a sudden, there's people talking in my ear. I'm thinking, where are these people? <laughs> I had no idea. But it, it actually turned out pretty well. And Bob was great to work with. And we we built such a, a you know, a common interest in different things, too. I mean, we, we've hiked the Grand Canyon together. We've gone to uh, Alaska together. We've done all kinds of things together. And so it, it's been a, a great ride for, for both yeah, of us. I mean, you guys are still doing a few more games. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you guys, I are, you guys are both, <laughs> I mean, you go, you're you brothers. I mean, it's pretty awesome to watch your relationship. And, you know, you know this business, Tom. A lot of play-by-play guys and their color analysts do not get along. We, oh, see, it yeah. in, we yeah. see it in the press room before games, the guys that don't get along. And, um, yeah. and just for you to still have that relationship when you've been into each other's ears for 40 years, yeah. it's, pretty, it's pretty neat. Yeah, and the thing is, Bob, I mean, he calls such a good game. I yeah. Mean, and, you know, Joe's doing a terrific job right now, mm-hmm. too. I mean, he works hard at it, he, and he's, uh, he's excited about doing it, too. But I've always said, you know what? In 50 years, nobody know, is going to know who I am anyway. So it doesn't really matter. Just do your job. Have fun with it. And uh, and it, it's great when you when you have a team like, like the Wild right now. Yeah. I mean, they're a fun team to work with. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what's your favorite Bob Kurtz story? I know like some of the ones that you've told me that I love the one oh. where you were helping him move or he was helping you move. Oh. And <laughs> move. I've moved him, I think, 12 times. <laughs> <laughs> but what was I the think, incident in I, the back of the truck where like – like, didn't one of you, like, fall out of the truck or something? Or, no, well? I don't. I, well, we could have. We yeah. might have been drinking at the time. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm messing up the story. I know that I'm messing. I'm definitely messing up Dude, the story. One, one of, the, uh, one of the, the funniest stories, when we were doing the broadcast in Detroit, it's at the Joe Louis Arena at that mm-hmm. time, and afterwards, they always had pizza, like Little Caesars, uh, yeah. pizza and beer for the media, which not, doesn't happen anymore. But we went down there and had a, a, a few beers and some pieces of pizza. And then we had rented a car because we were doing Channel 9 at the time, mm-hmm. KMSP TV. And uh, so we were not staying in the same hotels as players. We traveled on our own. We didn't uh, have to worry about, you know, getting on a team bus and stuff like that. And so we get on the on the highway going back to the airport. And Bob says, boy, I should have gone to the bathroom before I, <laughs> before I left. I said, well. I said, you can't pull off in the middle of the highway. I said, you know what? We're almost there. We're 10 minutes away. And he, and he said, I'm in agony. You know, he says, oh, why didn't I go to the bathroom first? And we went on and on about this. And I said, oh, we're almost there. Don't worry about it. And now we get out of the car. And it's one of those quickly where you throw your keys in the box. And you get yeah, in the yeah. elevator and up you go. Well, unbeknownst to him, we, uh, we're on the fourth floor. So he gets in. And he's bent over. And he's in agony. And when he's not looking, I hit three. <laughs> so all of a sudden, the elevator elevator door opens. He runs out. He gets about 20 feet out, and he looks up, and he realizes 
wrong floor. He turns around, he says, we're on the wrong floor as the elevator doors are closing <laughs> with me waving goodbye to him. <laughs> I don't know if he did it or not. I never did ask yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. He just uh, <laughs> took yeah. a leak on the carpet or yeah. something. Um, that is hilarious. I still, I have this like recollection as you were telling that story of, uh, remember we were like um, following each other to Napa and you, were, you guys are following me. And, <laughs> you didn't know you were and going. immediately I, I like realized that I was about to pass the highway and I like just jut to the right to get onto the on ramp, and I look back at you, and you're like, "What the hell?" Is you fly by and well, miss the exit? Um, you tried to lose us. You did. <laughs> I'm like, "That's brutal." I love your bag, by the way. Minnesota North Stars. How old is that bag? That is from uh, 1981. Wow, that is yeah. pretty neat. Yeah. Uh, brown leather uh, uh, briefcase, essentially. Yeah. It's just awesome. Old school. You mentioned uh, pranks. I know that you were a huge prankster. Um, yeah, uh, Daniel asks, who, what was the best prankster that you've ever played with? Ever played with? Yeah. Charlie Burns. Right. Charlie Burns. And I talked to his wife just the other day. Charlie's in pretty bad shape. Uh, he lives in, out in uh, uh, Hartford, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, but he, he was a prankster as well. And I learned a lot from him. And we, we were both, you know, Things all the time. Like uh, Brian Hextall, for example, when we played played with both Brian and Dennis Hextall, and uh, I came into a game early one time, and I took the uh, the game socks, which are dark green, and I replaced his socks with white socks, <laughs> the away socks, and I told all the guys, "Don't say anything." So during he gets all dressed, he's got puts on his jersey goes up he's got white socks on everybody else has got green <laughs> so, so he he gets on the ice he's skating around and some guy hollers to him hey Hextall are you colorblind <laughs> and also he realized that he was not very happy because in order to change the socks you have to take just about everything off <laughs> so in between I did that with him and one time in, in, in Oakland I took a Louis sweater and I switched it with mine <laughs> And so he's out there, and I kept skating in front of him, and he never realized that it was Nanny in front of him. <laughs> that is hysterical. <laughs> and some guy's hollering at me, hey, Louie, remember me? I met you one time. He's hollering at me. I'm not Lou Nanny. I'm Tom Reed. And uh, so there's lots of things. Charlie was one of the worst, though. He was, uh, yeah. when it comes to pranks, he, yeah. was, he was ruthless. Yeah. But, but they were funny pranks. They weren't yeah. mean. Not, not to break the news to you, but he did pass away. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. talked to his wife uh, three days ago, and yeah. uh, he had he had fallen. He had a brain bleed, and she called me, and uh, we talked for a little bit. But uh, Charlie, Charlie was a character. In fact, Charlie was a playing coach with the North Stars back in the early 70s. Mm-hmm. And we were rooming together when they made him coach. I said, Charlie, I can't live with you. <laughs> he, I said, you're the coach. He says, oh, you won't see me. I won't see you. And he was right. We never saw each other. <laughs> so one Saturday morning, we have a meeting at 10 o'clock, and I get up about it's probably at 17 minutes to 10. I'd been out the night before. And my alarm didn't go off or I didn't hear it. I jump out of bed. I get dressed and go by. He's still in bed. <laughs> I said, Charlie. I said, get your clothes. I'll go and get the car. I'll wait for you. We'll get, we'll, we're right across the street. We're at Kitty Corner to where the Met Center was. And so he gets in the car. We get there. Well, I come in two minutes late. Uh-huh. All right. And all the guys are hooting and hollering. You owe 20, you know, the fine's $25. I'm not paying $25. You know, and Charlie comes in and said, what's the problem? And they said, well, he was, he's two minutes late. He looked at me, he says, $25 fine. <laughs> Charlie. I'm late because of you. Yeah, I didn't tell that. Yeah. I didn't tell the guys that at the time. I didn't want to get him in, yeah. in trouble. But, uh, yeah, he was. He Back was in the day, if it, it felt like 
like when I first started covering the league, the, the writers really had good relationships with the players. I think that's dissipated a little just because of social media and all that stuff, you know, podcasts. I mean, you have many ways you can kind of piss off a player these days. What were the relationships like that you guys had with the beat writers? And did you ever play any jokes on the beat writers? Oh, yeah. We, we, we would, <laughs> sure we did. We, we'd hide their ty- In those days, they had typewriters. We would hide the typewriters. <laughs> or when Sid Hartman came in the room, Sid always had that big box, that yep. recorder. He had I, it till I, he died. I would take it and i put it in the freezer. <laughs> and then one time, Sid came in and, he's, and we're talking to him. He's got this long trench coat on and uh, he was talking about how nice new coat he just bought. And so as I was going into the shower, I put it on and walked into the shower with it on. <laughs> he, he was not a happy guy. But we always had a pretty good relationship with the uh, with the uh, the media. I remember Charlie uh, Charlie Hallman uh, wrote something nasty about Dennis Hexall one time, and I was I came upstairs at, off the ice, and Dennis is chasing Charlie Hallman with his stick, and he's swinging the stick at him. <laughs> and so I had to go and grab <laughs> grab uh, Dennis and told Charlie, get the hell out of here because I can only hold him for so long. <laughs> <laughs> I had a couple of uh, physical instant, uh, little issues with players back when I first started, yeah. too. Um, it's pretty... Uh, I mean, it's always an interesting relationship that you ha- the player has with a beat writer. I mean, it's yeah, and I don't have a close relationship with the players now, and yeah, and I prefer that. Yeah, I like to say hi and talk to them and so on. But uh, my role as you know, as an analyst, is talk about the players, and sometimes I have to say the a poor decision. I don't want to destroy the player, right? But maybe you know, it's an in- incorrect move by the player. Yeah, things like that. So you try and you know. You're trying to keep an even keel with right. Uh, that brings me to a question from Brian Good. He says, um, "When you're when with play by play doing uh, during doing hockey games, how difficult sometimes is it for you to find space to provide commentary? Like, how do you pick your spots? Because as you know, no play by play like guy likes when the color guy's talking over his goal call and things like well, that. Right. And I did that with Joe uh, because a lot of times I can read what's going to happen and yeah. before it happens." And so I try to be very selective when I'm when I'm talking. I, I don't want to call, talk over the uh, uh, the play-by-play guy. And Bob and I had had it worked out pretty well. We very seldom we miss anything, and but it very seldom that I ever talk over talk uh, talk over him when the goal was going to be scored. But sometimes it just happens. It could be a quick turnover the blue line, and you're going one way, and I start something, and now I, I've got to get out, or I've got to you know just stop altogether. Right, that's my thought later on. What was it like last season doing games remotely? I mean, was that difficult for you, or it was, was it easier? It, it was difficult for me. It was, Bob enjoyed it because you know we're limited by what we can see, and as you know, on the on the TV monitor we had. We just had one very small segment of the ice, so we couldn't see mm-hmm. the back referee. We couldn't see the the, the other when when did the goalie come out? Yeah, what's happening on the bench? Is somebody hurt? I mean, you had no idea. But I think we we handled it pretty well. And Bob actually enjoyed doing. I'd I'd rather be at the the, the site itself. Right. I think you get more uh, talking to the media, talking to the players, talking to the coach, and stuff like that, rather than just doing everything by Zoom and yeah. How much of a thrill will it be for you to do the Winter Classic? And, uh, you know, that that we will be a ways away in the press box. Well, we did the outdoor game. Yeah, yeah, that's true. We and that did was, that against Chicago, yep. and we were a long ways yeah, away from that field. that one was big. Field. Yep. But it was fun. It yeah. was fun. It's, it's, it's a great experience. And, you know, we, we're going to miss things here and there. Uh, on radio, we only have a couple of us. You know, we got well, three of us with, with Kevin with the home games. Uh, but the TV, you've got a lot more. You got like thirty-four p- different people looking with replay operators, and they can tell you what's happening sometimes, but yeah. you can't see it. 
who got the goal or how to hit a stick yeah. or that, have that. We don't have that luxury on, on radio, but we didn't miss much. Yeah. We really didn't. I, 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 I think there was one time last year that Bob and I both missed a goal for whatever. I could have been writing something down at the time, and, yeah. but we both missed it. We just didn't see it. Yeah. That's the only time in all the years we've worked together that happened. Yeah. Um, Hideki asks, uh, benefits of doing radio over TV, besides the obvious, uh, we don't have to, we don't, we don't get to see your pretty face, but uh, what's the well, benefit they, of doing radio? You know, want the young, good looking guys on TV, <laughs> not the old guys. You don't have to put on makeup anymore <laughs> yeah. and all that. Yeah. Uh, ra- t- TV was fun, mm-hmm. but you know, uh, you get to a point that I, I did TV from sort of 1980 until the year 2021 the Gophers I've done Michigan State I've done NCAA I've done all kinds of different things hockey wise yeah. a lot of it with Bob too uh, but it just got to, you know I, I don't need TV anymore yeah. uh, just do the radio it was radio we, t- we do hockey we don't talk yeah. about other things very often it's all about the game itself which I think on radio we have to paint the picture we have to let you know where the puck is where the face are what direction they're going I mean all of those things play into the the listening audience, so they have yeah. a visual of what we're doing. Um, what's your best Lou Nanny story? Oh, boy. Well, with Louie, there's a lot of stories. Yeah. You know? I mean, Louie and I have been friends for a long time. And in fact, we're, we're together the other day. And But, uh, you know, Louie and I and JP and Murray Oliver, of course, the last two guys have, are deceased now. And we went to Vietnam together back in the early, early 70s on a USO tour to visit with a the troops over there and Louie is one of the he's if there's if there's a sandwich one sandwich and it's 100 yards away and there's 100 people going for it Louie will get that sandwich i guarantee <laughs> you it's all about food with Louie. and he can't he would he would eat breakfast and get right up from the table and go right upstairs to our our pregame meal and have a, another meal i mean just, <laughs> and he never gained weight i mean yeah. strong uh, fast fun to be with but we're playing a game in pittsburgh and Louie was doing a, a Trying to do a little bit of a toe drag on the on the wing coming down, and there's a defenseman named Dennis Outcher, good name for a defenseman, hard hitting defenseman. And as Louis was doing a, a toe drag, you know, he, all his chins out there, and Dennis hit him right on the button. Down goes Louis. He hits his head. He's out. He's on the ice, and I'm standing over him, and he's starting to come to, and I said, Louis, before you go, can I have your condominium board? <laughs> <laughs> and that's the only thing he remembers. <laughs> <That> story. <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> tell, us, you know, tell us about Vietnam, that whole trip. Yeah, Vietnam was really interesting. I mean, yeah. they took a care of but I tell you, you appreciate the United States or Canada when you, uh, when you go over there and you see what you have to live with over there with the troops and so on. Troops were great to us. They did their best to take, you know, they took good care of us, that's for mm-hmm. sure. But it was it was really difficult and to be away from their families. And I think of all these troops that are you know in the Middle East and what they're going through. People have no idea. They have no idea. And when they don't take off their hat in the national anthem or they don't stand or they don't salute the flag, I mean, it just it it's mind boggling to me because you don't know what the other side is like until you right. go over there. But we were over there, and uh, that's another food story with Louis. Uh, <laughs> we go to this restaurant and it's on a boat. And we hear this gunfire. We're saying, "What? What is that?" And they and the our our escort, who's our our guard as well, he's carrying the gun. He says, "Oh, he says a lot of times the Viet Cong they'll try and swim underneath the boat and put a bomb there and blow up, blow it up." I said, "Well, let's eat in a hurry." <laughs> <laughs> but Louis wanted to have a fondue, 
Well, fondue, <laughs> nobody else wanted a fondue, but he was going to have one, so he had a fondue. But you know, one piece of meat at a time is not going to do it. Right. So he takes the whole bowl of meat and he puts it into the pot, so it's all cooking at the same time. <laughs> then he wanted to get out, so he grabs the pot and he, as he lifts it up, the handle turns. Oh, and no. the whole thing turns. <laughs> And all the oil, the hot oil, the, the the food, everything, all over the table. And that's, Louis is famous. When I used to eat dinner with Louis, I always put a napkin over the shoulder, whatever side he was on, because I knew something was going to be splashing right. pretty soon. One of my yeah. biggest honors was just, um, honestly, getting to know JP and and um, and how much access Zach and JP gave to me when, when JP was unfortunately going through his health at the end there. And, yeah. Um, how, how tough was that for you? And JP was also like, he just guy was hilarious. I mean, you know, like he had this just way about him. <laughs> in, uh, we were in Vancouver and he, of course, he was rooming with, rooming with Bill Goldsworth. In those days, we all had roommates. We didn't have our own yeah. rooms as they have today. Things are different today. Yeah. And we had adjoining rooms and Barry Gibbs and I were in one room and through the adjoining door was JP and, and Goldie. So I went in there and JP wasn't back yet, and Goldie was there, and so I they had heating blankets. So I switched the controls, and I told Goldie, I said, I'm switching the controls, so he's operating your side, really, and you're operating it, but don't touch it, just leave it up high. So JP comes in and says, oh, well, good to have these blankets, nice and warm. He crawls in the bed and turns it up high, and uh, pretty soon, oh, it's really getting hot in here. i got to turn this blanket down. He turns it down from 10 to 7, and... It's still hot in here. Now it's down to five, and pretty soon it's down to three, and then it's turned off. He says, I can't get the heat out of here. Goldie looks over, and he's fanning the sheets, trying to get the heat out of the bed. <laughs> the blanket's still out on high. Before he finally real, finally following the cord, he's going to unplug it, and he follows it, and he sees where it's attached to. That, uh, he was, JP was great. He was a yeah. great, great guy. Hated the helicopter rides we had over in Vietnam because we had no doors, and they had yeah. machine gunners on both sides. Like mash. And, and I sat right right there looking down you know, 5,000 feet and JP was in the middle with his head down, eyes closed, hanging out of the, <laughs> hanging out of the, the, the bar underneath the seat. Unbelievable. Um, it, it is, uh, I feel honored that, or I don't know, honored or insulted that you haven't really uh, played any practical jokes over on me over the years. The, the one thing that you used to do to me all the time when I first started in Minnesota, really not even when I first started, you do it as recent as like last week is you always come up to me. You're like, have you heard? And every time I'm, I, I bite, I'm like, what, what did I miss? I'm like, you know? And you've been doing that to me for 20, oh, for 17 years. Yeah. Have you heard? I, I, um, I still do it to a few people. And it's still, yeah. It's, I was, I was talking to Madonna the other day. We were talking about Capri stuff and, um, and I'm like, what did you make in your second, you know, your second contract? He's like, buck 25, you know, 125,000, which still back in the day is pretty good. Um, you know, a uh, little different than Kaprizov's nine mil. Um, what mine, was mine yeah? Was what was different. yours? You know, I made the first All Star team in the OHA that year. Brian Glennie and I, I was playing for the St. Catharines Blackhawks, which mm -hmm. was the farm, the junior farm team of the Blackhawks, and that's where Makita and Hull and you know all the different uh, athlete, you know star players came up uh, through the ranks. And uh, so I, I got the invitation to come to training camp, and I and I wanted to be a recreation director, as I said earlier. And I thought, you know what, I got to give it, a, if I don't give it a shot, I'll always wonder. So I went to camp and had a good camp. And Mr. Ivan called me in and he said, uh, we'd like to sign you to a contract. It's going to be a two-way contract. And if you stay in the NHL, it's going to be $10,000 a year. 
and 5000 for the miners, and we're going to give you a signing bonus of $500. <laughs> we didn't have agents. Yeah. I had no idea. I, what would I know? I'm a kid from a t- town of 9,000 people. Nobody didn't know anybody in All hockey. Right. So I signed it, $10,000 for the year. Now, they took $1,500 out to pay because we started the Players Association that year. So I took fifty. Now, that left me, left me $8,500. <laughs> now they took the taxes out. You know, by the end of the year, I'm down to about maybe $6,500. And that was to sustain me for the whole year. Wow. And so I had we all had to work in the summer. But I was out with uh, Stan Bakita and uh, Chico Mackey. And we were in, we're, yeah, I, we're out west somewhere. I can't remember what city it was. But Stan had said to me, how's you doing your contract? I said, it did pretty good. <laughs> it did? I said, yeah, how would I know? He said, what'd you get? And I said, well, Mr. Ivan asked me not to say anything. And... I, he said, well, tell us, because it helps us in our negotiations, too. Because they weren't making a lot of money. All right. And uh, I told him I got $10,000. He says, you did? I said, yeah. He said, are you happy? I said, yeah, I'm happy. And he said, that's the minimum. <laughs> <laughs> and it was. But how would I know that? Yeah, there's, yeah. No, there's no knowledge. <laughs> and I tell that story. And, I, you know, I looked at him. I said, you know what, Stan? It's never been about money with me. It's yeah. always been having fun and enjoying having a chance to play, and and so I I had you know had a lot of good, eleven good years before I had to step away from the game. But uh, it was it was never about the money. Yeah. When did you uh, start Tom Tom Reed's Hockey City Pub, and and how did that come about? Well, I knew that the Wild were coming to town, so I talked to a, who was a buddy of mine at that time uh, about starting a business downtown, finding a place. So. I knew that places around there, an arena, would, would probably thrive. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't a lot in downtown St. Paul at the time. I mean, you had uh, McGovern's was down there. You had cassettes. And other than that, there was really nothing else. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I bought a bar. It was called Judy Cage at the time. And it was a pretty tough bar. It was really a, 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 a place a lot of people would not go into. Let me put it that way. There's no windows in it. There's no kitchen. There, mm-hmm. You know, old bathrooms. Uh, the bar was uh, against the wall. It was just not, not very nice. So operated for just about a year and then shut it down and remodeled the whole place. And since then, you know, we did the expansion. Since then, we've now have expanded again to the, where we have the patio and we do a lot of, we do a lot of, uh, you know, uh, corporate uh, outings, you know, it might be uh, retirement or birthday parties or graduations or grooms dinners and stuff like that. And so it's really played, uh, paid dividends for us to have that and the doors open up on the patio and, it's uh, it's turned out to be pretty good, and the fans have been great. Fans, and I've got over five hundred items that are memorabilia yeah. that I adore the, you know, all over the, the walls. So I think people, a lot of people come just to they know about us. They, it's more like a museum for them. Yeah, Danny asks actually, do you have a favorite uh, piece of memorabilia at your, yeah, at your bar? There's there's one. It was from the early seventies, and it was a uh, the you know the cars you know the the, the players signed it, but it was a full sheet. It had not been cut yet. And when my dad passed away in 91, I went home, and I found this downstairs that was rolled up in the corner. I, don't, I have no idea where it came from, how we got it, but I have that. Uh, I, I had it framed and put in there, and wow. I'm in the picture, too. And, and uh, uh, Perot and Gordie Howe and, I mean, Jean Beliveau and the Richards. I mean, it, go, it goes on and on, all Hall of Famers, Jean yep. Lemaire and... And it, it's great. So that that really has a lot of sentimental value yeah. for me. Yeah, I like the picture of your uh, your penalty shot against Dryden. <laughs> Have I ever told you that story? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, that'll be uh, living infamy. There's no doubt about it. Um, 
actually, uh, here's a good one from Greg. Uh, it said Goldie had the shuffle. Was there a Tom Reed goal celebration? <laughs> no, but there should have been because it didn't happen very often. <laughs> uh, but, you uh, know, in, in those days, we didn't do, like, they do the fist bump and everything else now going by the vent. It was it, it, the old Bud, Bud Grant's line, you know, pretend like you've been there before. Right. And so, you know, you get a goal, you get a goal, and it's nice, yeah. you know. But yeah. it was, it was yeah. never, in, in, our, in my era, too, it was never about scoring. Yeah. It was more about defending. Yeah. And I can remember we had a game in Pittsburgh, and I, I think of that because in the old igloo, Ren Blair was our coach at the mm-hmm. time. And at the end of, of the uh, second period, we were behind 3 nothing, and he came in, and he was livid. None of the forwards at the defense because we got three goals. Now, we haven't scored a goal yet, so it's just all on us. So he goes in the back room. And he, uh, he's in there. We know he's going to come back out and chastise us again. And we're waiting. The first buzzer goes. He doesn't come out. The second buzzer goes. He doesn't come out. Now we got a bang on the door. And one of the linesmen said, you guys better get out here. There's going to be a delay of game. So we get out there. Well, who's going to coach? We don't have a coach. And somebody said, well, Caesar, Gump's in that. Why don't you coach? You're, you're not playing. He said, okay. And he looked at me. And I'm a young kid at the time. He says, Tom, he says, uh, you start the third period. I said, okay. He said to Wayne Hillman, he, Wayne, uh, we call him Booner. You start the third period with Tom. He said, I'm not starting the third period. I started the game. I'm not starting the third period, too. <laughs> so he said to Leo Boyman, who just passed away recently as well, he said, Leo, will you start? All right, I'll start, but I'm not going to be able there very long. <laughs> so have somebody ready. So we start playing. We hear this noise. We look behind us, and here comes Ren over top of the seats. What had happened was he went in the back room to prepare his, his, his speech against us, went to come in the room, and we're gone. Went to go out, and the door was padlocked from the outside. He couldn't get out. <laughs> He's banging on the door while there's a tunnel there, and the security guy had walked down to watch the game. <laughs> so he never heard it. The crowd was hollering and screaming. So he, you know, he, he never heard him. Finally, he walked back. What's that noise? And realized Ren was in there. And Ren, Ren thought we locked him in. We had no idea where he was. <laughs> we didn't lock the door. We just went and played. So. Is that your fa- uh, Ken asked what is your favorite Ren Blair story. Is that yeah. your favorite, or do you have others? Oh, I mean, with Ren, it was always... There's always something with uh, with Ren. Uh, Ren would come in, and if we won the game, it was coaching. If we lost the game, it was the players. And he would lay down on his back in his office with his feet up on a chair and a cool towel on his forehead in between periods. You'd think he was playing the game. But we're in Montreal, and Bray Cullen was our captain, and we're sitting there getting ready for the start of the third period. And Ren came over and he put his arms around and says, come on, guys, we got to tie up this game. And Cully looks at me and looks up at Ren. He says, Ren, it is tight. It is. When did we get that last one? There's <laughs> always funny stories. You know? Oh, man, that is funny. Um, Carl asks, um, who is your favorite opponent to play that you really respected, and who's the player that you despise playing against? Jean Bellabo. Jean Bellabo. that player. As a, as a player, as a youngster growing up, Mr. Bellabo was always my favorite player. Mm-hmm. And now I'm playing against him. I'm in Montreal. There's a breakout. It's one-on-one. It's him against me. And I'm thinking, oh, boy, <laughs> this is not going to end well. I just, I can see it. Yeah. And he was a big man, too, and just a classy, classy guy. He came down, and I think he knew it, what I was thinking, because he looked at me, and I'm looking at him, <laughs> and he threw a head fake, and I went that way, and he went the other way. <laughs> he went around me. He didn't score, but I, I always remember that play as, as I live. All right. Uh, you know, I don't think there's a lot of players that, I mean, sometimes you, you get upset with players during the course of a game. 
uh, Steve Durbano was a guy that he he was he was nuts. He was crazy. I mean, he is one of the, his his wife. I mean, she he, he was out one night and she got mad. And said, "If you don't get home, I'm going to kill the dog." And he went home and she had hung the dog. Holy shit! Yeah, good. yeah. Uh-huh. I, I think. I mean, he he got mad one time at the referee in the penalty box and he took his skate off and threw it at the referee. Holy I mean, there's, moly! There's, yeah, there's there's some loose cannons out there. There have been, but I think for the most part. You know, you play hard, you work hard. We always had a great relationship with the, with the officials, mm-hmm. uh, and it was and you could holler at them and so on. And I remember John Ashley always would. He'd say, he'd put one hand on the hip, and he said, "Tom, that's a five. Now, if I put my other hand on the hip, it's going to be a ten-minute misconduct. You know that? Yes, Mister Ashley, I'm leaving now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I go away. That is funny. You know, uh, I mean, you mentioned that, and it just it dawns on me how different the game is today. Like, I was talking to Dane Mizutani, the Pioneer press writer, about this the other day in the press box. It, like, I like that they've gotten rid of those, you know, like, uh, you know, like I've covered scary incidents, right? Uh, you know, a lot of Scott Stevens hits, a lot, you know, Mike Madonna getting knocked out in the corner, um, Jeremy Roenick getting cross-checked into the, like, you know, Lindros knocked out. Um, but it's a very different game today because guys, like, they do stuff in the middle of the ice that years ago would have gotten you blown up. You know, I mean, the other night, Kaprizov is just dangling head down, doing ridiculous stuff at the red line, and Brock Nelson just literally hits the brakes and doesn't come near him. Yeah. Instead of just, like, you're supposed to pop him there. But that stuff never happens anymore. Very seldom does it happen. Then the penalties are pretty severe now too when it does happen. But in our day, uh, it, it, unless a guy died, yeah. I mean, you you might get a two minute penalty. But a lot of things happen with stick work and you know, skates. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, spears and and just, that just was the nature of the beast. You know, we'd have full bench clearing brawls, and you know, and it would carry on for you know ten fifteen minutes. Yeah. Uh, it just then the NHL put a rule in that. Anybody who clears a bench is a hundred thousand dollar fine. We have not had one since. Yeah, not one. Yeah, and but things happen on the ice. You still have to have those guys out there that are kind of your protectors too. But the day of the, just being a protector is gone. You have you have to bring a lot more to the game, a lot more elements to the game. But than just do, do you think like the the no open ice hitting is? I mean, I I know that it, it probably stems from the fact that they got rid of headshots, which I absolutely applaud. But it doesn't mean that you can't pop a guy. No, you uh, yeah, you, yeah you can. I think the biggest problem today is the speed of the game is mm-hmm. so fast. The elimination of the two line pass has made it even that much faster. Right, and it's harder to hit players. They used to say, "Well, hit Gretzky, you can't catch him." Yeah, you know when they when they change that rule. It really, to me, uh, really made the game that much quicker and faster for everybody yep. else. And you know, people come; to, they want to see they want to see the the finesse of the game. At the same time, they want to see the, the physical part of the game too. Yep. Watch the fans when there's a fight. They say, "Oh, you got to abolish fighting." They've done a pretty good job of protecting the players, even in a fight. Now, once yep. in a while, somebody will get hit, but when the helmet falls off, the linesmen are right there to break it up yep. immediately. And the players themselves respect each other too. Yeah. In the old days, you take a Bob Probert. Something happened. You go down. He's on top of you, and he's just pummeling away. Yeah, you know, you just keep on swinging. That's what they do. No doubt, no doubt about that. Um, one last question before I wanted to transition a little bit to the Minnesota Wild, and then we'll head over to the morning skate. Um, but uh, tell everybody about your wife. Um, you know, and and her awesome job that she has. And I don't know if a lot of people know that. Uh, that uh, you know what what she does for a living. Yeah, a lot of people don't know. <laughs> my my wife uh, Patty, she works. Uh, 
she worked for the North Stars. That's where I met her, and mm-hmm. she worked in public relations there. But she's uh, has a career now. She's been with Mario Andretti since uh, mid mid ninety when Mario retired, mm-hmm. and he's a wonderful man. I mean, he's just a, a, a prince of a guy a, as a boss and as a human being. Right. And I tell one story about Mario because this is this is him. We I was at the Indy five hundred one year. He invited me down to his. He had a suite and and turned turned to and just his family were allowed to be there. But he had some celebrities in there at the same time, which was kind of fun too. Phyllis Diller was there. And wow. It was just, just a, a number of people. But the day after, he had three cars that he had to return to the dealership that he was allowed to use. And two of them were really hot, hot cars, and he had a Chevy Biscayne. He said, Would you mind driving one of the cars out? Your wife will drive the other, and, and I'll drive one. I said, Yeah, not a problem. So we're in the parking lot, and he pulls out. And just as he pulls out, there's this band comes up around us, honking the horn, honking the horn. And we all stopped. And we didn't know what was going on. And this elderly gentleman gets out of the van. And he's kind of hobbling a little bit. And he, he comes over. Mr. Andretti said, just, could, could I just get your autograph? You're, you're my hero. And he got out, Mario got out of his car, and he talked to the guy for probably five or six minutes. Signed, we didn't have cell cameras in those days. Up, yeah, right. Signed, signed the uh, the autograph for him, and that that older gentleman walked back to his van like he was twenty years old. Yeah, he was so excited. And then we take off for the uh, for the uh, car dealership, and he Mario Mario drives two hundred thirty miles an hour, and those cars even to this day he'll drive them two ten two twenty two thirty. But I'm the third car. He's going about 85. My wife's following him. I'm falling behind. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm going to get pulled over. And they're going to say, what are you doing? I said, I'm following me. Already. Yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> yeah, all right. Never got pulled over. But, uh, <laughs> he's, he's a great guy. But she she travels. They've traveled the world together at different events, doing yeah. things and so on. Just got back from the Did, UK a few weeks ago. Yeah. So. Didn't you, Um. Uh, was it Jacques or Bruce that went out to dinner with him in Tampa a couple years ago? Or it was, I- it was uh, Bruce. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He, yeah, yeah. I remember he was on top of the world. Yeah. Yeah, you know, getting to meet him. Yeah, we we went to, we went out for dinner, and uh, Mario was so gracious. And of course, uh, he's world renowned. I mean, yeah. he's probably the most recognizable race car driver. In the yeah, world. yeah, yeah. And just a, yeah. where'd you go? Did you go to Burns? We went to Burns. Yeah, Burns. Yeah. I love Burns. And it was right across yeah. from our hotel, so it made yeah. it nice and convenient. Yeah, I can't wait. In a couple of weeks, uh, we're going to be in Tampa. I want to go to uh, Lou Nanny. Brought me to a place that Phil Esposito recommended to him. Uh, last time we were there, oh, the meat market. It's uh, like I, I, it's just awesome. Um, definitely going back there. Um, meat market. So it, highly recommend that one. Expense account. Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about the Wild. Um, you know, what do you make of the team right now? I mean, seven come from behind victories, seven one-goal wins. Um, they're yeah. making it exciting, that's for sure. They don't quit. Yeah. They really don't quit. I mean, there's a team. They do have the superstars. No, they don't have the superstars. But what they have is they have a... They have a group of individuals that right now trust each other. I don't care if it's on defense. you got three sets of defense, and your four lines are all working hard. And like Dean says, he's asked about matching lines. He doesn't match lines. Yeah. He No, I don't match lines. We feel that any line we have can play against any line on the other side. And it's really it's been fun, and these guys are winning. And, and you know yourself, and you've been in situations where a team is losing and how depressing it is to go to work sometimes. I can't imagine what it's like here. In the, with the yep. Arizona Coyotes, it's, yeah. they won their first game the other night, beating the Seattle Kraken. That's their first win. They won yeah. twelve games, and how difficult it must be for yeah. these players to come to the. Uh, go. If you have a bad day at the office, next day might be better. 
But when it's continuous like that, you don't want to go to the office. And the same thing with players. It's you know the paychecks don't mean anything when you're when you're playing. You want to win. I mean that's that's the the whole yeah. idea of playing in the National Hockey to, to get that Stanley Cup. I, I think the thing that really makes the Wild us uh, a team that could make some noise in this conference, besides the fact that there really are no juggernauts in this conference at all, not even Colorado right now, um, is the fact that they have such depth scoring. I mean, we have not seen Caprisa or Fiala do much this season, yet Hartman's got six goals, Felino's got four, Erickson X got four, Duham scoring, Sturm scoring, Bukestead scoring. Uh, they're, that is why they're winning games right now. It's certainly not because of Caprisa and Fiala right now. Well, and you're right. It's not that those guys aren't working hard there. I mean, they're yeah. getting opportunities, just not working for them right now, but it will. At some point, you know, you know, a, a goal scorer is still going to be a goal scorer. Right. That's that's going to happen. But everyone else is, 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 you know, lifting up the team. Everyone else is contributing. All all the lines are contributing. And that's what you have to have. And you have to have goaltending. Goaltending is, is critical. And, and Cam Talbot has been terrific. I mean, when you look at the numbers, you have to look at the wins. And uh, maybe the same percentage aren't always where you think they should be. Yep. But at the same time, if the team is winning for you and it, making those big saves like... Look at the game when it, well, they had two breakaways in Pittsburgh. The Pittsburgh game. Yeah, yeah. Sat, Zuc- sat, yep. sat Zucker both, and Marino. He, yeah, he stepped both of those. Yeah. I mean, and that turned the whole game. Yep. I mean, it looked, it looked like, uh-oh, we're going to lose yep. this one. But the goaltender made the save. Yep. That, the was it save. Uh, Winnipeg, too? One of their overtime wins, same thing. He just, like, it you know, was, he didn't have a great regulation. But all of a sudden, when the game is on the line, he made game-saving stops. Yeah. Was it Dylan that broke in there? Yeah. It was yep. Dylan came in, and, and he yep. made that save and goes right back the other way. And yep. they wound up winning. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's pretty, pretty cool. They're, they're fun to watch. Yeah, they really are. Yeah. Uh, last question is a good one from Jeff saying, uh, "What if if you were you know somebody that like we just you just mentioned how Arizona is a t- team that's very beatable. Minnesota's coming in here. They've won three in a row. They have all these come from behind wins, buzzer beaters, all this stuff. What would you do in the locker room before the game to get these guys to prevent a letdown? To not go in there, take this team lightly, and go out there and just hammer them. Well, you have to look at the success you've had too. You don't want to be on a, a negative uh, plane. You want to keep everything in a positive and up, right. upbeat, and you know you want to keep that, that energy going. And just remind the players, you know, this team, you know, they won their last game. So that gives them a little more uh, a yeah. jump here right now. I know it's Seattle, but Seattle's not a bad t- bad team. Yeah, not, the Wild learned that last week. Yeah, they found that. Yeah, they t- took them a little bit lightly, perhaps. Yep. And they, that can happen. But I think I think coming in like, there like that and have the players have some input too. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think that one thing that Billy has done is he's established this team with three very solid captains. Yeah. And I think that's that goes a long way to the success of this hockey club because yeah. they care about they're more of a somebody said it, I think it was Dean they're more of a welcoming committee yeah. for new players coming in, yeah. which was not the way uh, it was in the past. But uh, I, I think you know when you're on a roll like this, you want to keep it going, but you can't take yeah. every team in the NHL can win at any given day. So yeah, you better be ready. I, I always say that about I mean you you. A guy like Spurgeon, um, you know, it's it's impossible for you to meet him and not feel at ease immediately. He's oh, got no. this calming way about him. But it's the same thing with a guy like Felino. Like, um, and Felino, by the way, always plays incredible in this building, and he's been so good the last couple of games. Yeah. Um, but like, same thing. It's like they they mean it. Dumba, these guys mean that they want to make an, a, you know a a locker room where everybody could feel comfortable, everybody inclusive, all that type of stuff. Yeah, people say, well, who's who's the MVP of the team right now? And, you know, there's a few guys, but Felino to me, is the Absolutely. guy that has really stepped up, and he's yep. kind of the leader 
on the ice there just by what he does. Yep. And Duhame is coming into that fold yep. as well, you know, being a little more aggressive, being a little yeah. more physical. Yeah. In a good way. Not yeah. in a bad way, but in a good way. Well, I mean, we saw it uh, even with Beckman being up for three games and just the way that Felino treats him like a little kid brother. It's yeah. it's just really neat. It really is neat to see right now uh, just how, how everything is, is coming together. Um, you've been, I mean, last question, uh, Tom, you know, I always think like, like I've covered this league now for 27 years and it feels like a lifetime for me. Like I'm freaking tired, tired. I'm ready to go. You've been doing this forever. You got to feel like this is just a dream come true. We're sitting in the sun under a couple palm trees in Arizona right now when there's about to be a snowstorm in the next couple of days in Minnesota. Um, you've just got to like, be just like so tickled that you've been able to spend a lifetime in this sport. Mike, I started traveling in junior in 1964, and I've never stopped. It's mm-hmm. been the same for me all, all the years. Even when the, when the Dallas Stars moved and Norm Green came in by the team, I, I refused to work for him. I, I was doing radio and TV at the time. I just said, not working for him. I never met the man. He came up one time to meet me. I didn't want to meet him. I said, I really don't want to meet you. Yeah. Because I knew what he was. I, I, I told people, he's going to move this team. Mm-hmm. Three years, he's going to move it. Oh, no, he won't do that. You know, it's. It's a ho- hockey is inbred in, in Minnesota. Well, it's not, and we found that out. But I've uh, I've enjoyed every every minute of it. I mean, sometimes it's difficult. You know, we get home when some sometimes you talk about the snowstorm and it's, yeah, you know, it's twenty below zero and your car's covered in snow and you got to yeah. walk through the, over the tarmac and carry your luggage. It's, it's, it's a little bit different, but you know what? It's been great. It's been yeah. Great for me and, yeah. Well, yeah. think of me on, uh, on, on set Sunday morning when I get back to that hotel at 1am and I got to wake up at four for my 6am flight home. So, uh, <laughs> sometimes I wish I was on your charter. Well, Hey Tom, this was a delight. Right. It's amazing that this is the first time that I've had you on the podcast. I appreciate, I appreciate yeah. you coming on. you you want to tell I'm everybody a, who was supposed I'm to be on? Mike Badano. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also Claire Bell, the clown, but I was a third choice. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tom, uh, this is awesome. I right. uh, really appreciate it. Thanks to Tom Thank Reed. And uh, here's a word from our sponsors. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Thanks again to Tom Reed for joining this week's edition of Straight from the Source. And thanks to you all for listening to it. I always, always, always appreciate it. Uh, Quinn Hughes of the Vancouver Canucks is Craig Custance and Sean Gentile's guest this week on the Athletic Hockey Show USA. And Rob Pizzo from CBC Sports and Jesse Granger and Sarah Sivian have the Athletic Hockey Show Wednesday at The Athletic. Thanks for listening to Straight from the Source. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to leave a rating and a review. Subscribe to The Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content content from our entire network you could start with a 30-day free trial then just 99 cents a month after that it's not even a dollar it's 99 cents and right now get an annual subscription to the athletic for just three dollars and 99 cents a month when you visit theathletic.com slash straight from the source talk to you next week everybody